This is a far more complex situation than most of us have been acknowledging. And I would include myself back, you know, a few years ago. It just seems so obvious, so why aren't we doing it? And there are a lot of people who are campaigning or advocating for change in different dimensions. What I think we need is a more integrated view of the whole scenario, the whole situation, all of the factors, levers, all of those dynamics that are rubbing up against each other that are actually mean that we haven't made much progress. And if we were willing to unpack those, I think we would see how the various obstacles in those different areas, they're incredibly interlinked. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making Account, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people, and be more productive. So let's get into it. My guest today is Fiona Pierman. Fiona is the founder and director of Pierman Partners, a facilitator and speaker. She is a game changer, thought leader, and status quo challenger. How awesome is that? Fiona is a sought-after opinion leader, panelist, and speaker on creating gender-equal and inclusive workplaces where everyone can thrive. She works with organizations to deeply understand the underpinning systemic and structural barriers that impact gender diversity at senior levels. She's also the co-author of Core Confidence, which examines the reasons why professional women can be perceived as less confident than men. Fiona's background as a corporate brand strategist means that she understands the benefits for organizations in fully leveraging the power of gender diversity. Now, this is an awesome chat, and in this podcast, we will discuss why a gender-balanced leadership of your company will create the conditions to outperform the market and give you a competitive advantage and how to get there. We also cover off on what the obstacles are for gender balance, the opportunities for leaders to lead the change, and how confidence can play a part in holding women back. Uh, This is a really insightful chat with Fiona, who offers some deep insights and valuable tips for all of us, and encourages us to look within in order to progress improved gender diversity within senior leadership positions. So enjoy my chat with Fiona. Fiona, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Julie. It's really lovely to be here. Absolutely. And we have got so much to talk about today. So, (laughs) such a big topic to explore. And I'm really grateful to have you um, part of it. So, shall we just kick it off? Yes, let's do that. All right. So, Fiona, can you tell us a bit about your background and how and what has led you to where you are today? So, my background is um, I worked in a corporate for a long time. I really love that. I was actually uh, in marketing and then in brand, corporate brand strategy for quite some time. Um, I left that to start my own consultancy uh, in brand strategy. And as I was doing this, I became more and more conscious that one of the, the biggest levers that organizations had to deliver on their brand promise was their leadership and culture in the organization. And so that led me to a segue into a lot of leadership and culture work, which um, I still do some of and I really love. And it was in that place that I actually started to notice the imbalance in organisations and the reliance on, um, you know, mainly men at, at senior tables. And I got curious about what that meant in terms of culture and 
where where we were maybe missing out on the fact that, you know, even though women were making some progress in the workplace, they weren't very often well represented at those senior decision-making tables. So what, when, once you've seen that, so now you um, stepped out of corporate and you started your own business. So what did that, all of that sort of lead you to? Well, it led to uh, questioning, I guess, some of the status quo, some of the things that we take for granted. And mm. I guess um, a kind of a fascination that we have some really good solid data and continually, like we've had this for a couple of decades now, around the benefits of diversity in organisations, um, you know, at all levels. Mm. And we're not just talking women here. We're also talking, you know, uh, people of different um, ethnic and religious backgrounds, people with different sexualities, people uh, with different abilities and um, what we've termed in the past disabilities. So there's, you know, there's a sense that... Um, we haven't been reaping the benefit of this. We know the data says it's worthwhile and yet we've struggled to make progress. Mm. And I guess that's what really led us to looking quite deeply around what, what does the research say, what's going on for men and women? Mm. Um, what is it that may be holding women back? What's getting in the mm. way? What are the barriers? Um, and that sort of became our, our first book, um, Core Confidence, which was very much examining what's going on in the world, like what is the landscape that we're all living in, mm. how does that play out, and what is it that women may need, may want to do or may be able to embrace that would allow them to take their rightful place, to own their value and to get to the uh, those really senior positions that have so much influence. Yes. Now, um, there is huge competitive advantage when there is gender balanced leadership of any organization um, and this will create the conditions to outperform the market and um, as I say give you a competitive advantage so and I know there's been really awesome Australian research that's just been released so um, which I think is really refreshing because we often uh, refer to a lot of the U.S. Um, research. So I think this is really positive for us. So can you expand on that a little bit? Because, you know, the statistics are there right in front of our faces in terms of the benefits that women do bring to business when they're, when they are in those senior leadership positions. Yes. Yeah. I was really excited to see this research. Um, what we're very fortunate about in Australia is um, we have the uh, Women Gender Equality Agency, and that is an awesome body that actually collects data from our largest organisations. And uh, so we're able to actually see uh, where women are represented, what's happening in those businesses, uh, how the policies are being adopted. And it's such a rich, a rich source of raw data, which has then been taken on by um, Curtin University and Bankwest. They, they then dig into it and they're really looking for, you know, beyond correlation, what is it that women bring to the table and how does that impact business? And what they found when they, you know, had a great look at um, some of our top ASX companies was that when we have female um, top-tier managers, they add 6.6% market value to those organisations. Now, that's huge. Ooh. That's enormous. Um, and, you know, I think we're, I, when we have it in such stark terms, I'm really hoping that businesses of all sizes 
will take that on board and start to think about, wow, you know, what are we missing out on by not having enough senior women at the Mm -hmm. table um, contributing their views and perspectives? And obviously, if we want to have that, we've got to have a pipeline of women. So we've got to actually be able to bring them up through our organisations. And I think most uh, large organisations have some good awareness around this. Most of them have policies where we seem to have some um, fallout or some some difficulties is actually implementing, sustaining that from a cultural point of view. Yeah, yeah. So 6.6% market value, that mm. would equate to a significant amount of revenue, I'm guessing, of course, depending on the business. But Yeah, a huge amount of revenue and profitability. I think that one about female CEOs is really interesting. I think most of us have heard that... Um, uh, stat around, you know, there are more um, uh, men called Andrew uh, leading top 200 companies than there are women all up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the appointment of a female CEO of these larger organisations led to a 12.9% increase in the likelihood of outperforming in their sector on three or more metrics. Wow. That's so, again, huge. and this is not to say... That, yeah. you know, only women can do this. It's not okay. at all what we're saying here. It's just that if we're not having more women as possible CEOs, we're not having more women in exec tables, if we're not having more women on boards, we're really missing out. Yes. So I know you've done a lot of your own research around this for many years. So what, what are you seeing to be the obstacles? So I think this is a far more complex situation than most of us have been acknowledging. And I would include myself back, you know, a few years ago. It just seems so obvious, so why aren't we doing it? And there are a lot of people who are campaigning or advocating for change in different dimensions. What I think we need is a more integrated view of the whole scenario, the whole situation, all of the factors, levers, all of those dynamics that are rubbing up against each other that are actually mean that we haven't made much progress. And if we were willing to unpack those, I think we would see how the various obstacles in those different areas, they're incredibly interlinked. So, you know, we could start with, you know, how we raise boys and girls. We do mm. that quite differently. We, um, we, we say we reward girls for getting things right, for being quiet, for, you know, um, achieving results, for, um, for, for turning up and being a good girl in a mm. lot of um, situations. Uh, we often don't expect the same thing of boys. We expect boys to be more rambunctious, to, uh, to mess up at things, to fail, to get back up again. And that has an impact in terms of resilience and taking things personally and meaning making and the way we we then enter the workforce. Um, the way that the, dyna- the current dynamics that exist in organisations tend to favour a male view of leadership, that's not, um, it's not a malicious thing. It's simply we have been used to men as leaders. So all of us have been raised in a society where mostly when we look up the tree, whether it's government or um, organisations and a lot of industries where the movers and shakers, the people who influence are men. So it's not surprising then that when uh, women and men work through their career that they defer to male leadership or that they speak over other women or they interrupt other women. You know, these are the sorts of things that happen and we kind of go, why do women do that as well? Why aren't they more honouring of the sisterhood or whatever? 
Yeah. And, and it's unconscious, right? Where we simply have not had that role modeling in mm. society as a reference point. Uh, we are waking up to it a little bit more, but it's it's um it's long ingrained. And I think the the big one for me that I've really come to understand in the last twelve months is the impact of the way that uh, we don't share the care around raising children. Mm. So there's an automatic bias and assumption, and this is particularly strong in Australia around women's role to to take the larger share of of parenting. And, you know, this is seen in we have higher than normal part-time women working. We have higher than normal, um, you know, male breadwinner model. Um, We haven't encouraged women to continue to participate in the workforce full-time as they have children. Mm. And we haven't created the structures and systems around them so that that's easy to do. We've gone to this default model that means when women opt out or opt part-time, in the workforce, it's very hard to get back on the career trajectory that leads to those senior roles. Mm. So this is where you get into issues of childcare, you know, having universal, affordable, accessible childcare, we know has an enormous impact on women's workforce participation. We know that that delivers, you know, for every dollar spent on that, it delivers $2 in terms of economic performance for the country. You know, it's just Mm. a no-brainer in terms of investment. Um, we know that men culturally aren't encouraged to step up and take um, parental leave. And, you know, a few organisations have actually tried to do things around that. I know one organisation where men are given three months paid parental leave. Uh, their, their partner must go back to work during that time. So it is actually social engineering, right? This is what, you know, the Scandinavians have long known works really well. And... That worked quite well in their family. That was a a good dynamic, except when I've heard about this for men who have chosen to take that parental leave, who are working, you know, four days rather than five to have one day with their children, they do, they count a cost to their career. So it doesn't matter who opts for less time or who opts to help. We still have a cultural thing that says, ah, if you're doing that, you can't do this. Yeah. I absolutely 100% agree with that. And it's a really good point you make on share the care. And um, one of my clients, she runs her own business. And um, so she's recently had a child and she agreed with her husband that her husband was going to be the full-time carer. So she was going to go back to work. Now, the, uh, the flack she has copped because of this has been quite significant, even from her family. But, um, you know, from people within the, the friend friendship circle, the family, um, but also her husband being the only male, you know, in mother's group. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't it be parents' group? So they really have to push through some barriers and not even realising what those barriers were until they've gone through it. Um, but you're so right in terms of, because I've heard so many times from leaders, uh, when she goes off and has the child, her mind will only be 50% here, but we'll never get her back again. And that contributes, you know, that really feeds into what you were saying before about the cost of taking time out to be, to be the carer to Mm. careers. So it's, it, it is a really deeply ingrained mindset. 
yeah, you can you can really start to see as we we unpack it how complex it is, and yeah. you know there isn't a single thing that is going to solve this easily. Right. It needs to be multi-dimensional and multifaceted in the way we address it. And you know those cultural norms. What you're talking there is that's not a necessarily a workplace expectation. Yes, that's some of it. It's also a societal expectation. You know, yes. women yes. need to take care of their children. Men can't do that as well. You know, it's just which is all you know, BS, actually, we mm. know that men are perfectly capable of looking after children. They may do it differently to women. That's perfect. That's great, actually, when, you know, kids get a different perspective. Mm. Um, and, look, we've done that in my family. My husband's um, a little bit older than me, so I did, you know, initially uh, more of the caring. And then um, from the time my youngest was about four, she's 19 now, he has been the lead parent. We call it lead parent in our family. I have to say I, I'm now, um, I was listening to a really great podcast. Julia Gillard was interviewing, I think the woman's name was Hannah Fry. She's a top scientist in the UK, extraordinary woman, extraordinary achievements career-wise. Yeah. And she said, but we still haven't dealt with this because my, my husband is the full-time carer, just like your friend. So we're operating in a 1950s household. It's just that the woman's now doing the work and the man's staying at home. So we're still not addressing this issue of how do we enable both parents to participate in the workplace and the economic mm. freedom that brings over the long term. I mean, you know, you know, another, another rabbit warren we won't go down is, you know, older women who have just got no superannuation and no financial security, you know, they've ended up there partly because we never supported them to have mm. financial security and economic freedom. Mm. And, you know, we if we if we want to do this, if we want to actually have women at the decision making tables, we also need to want men to take their share of the care. Not necessarily to take it all. I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that's the answer either. Yes, yes, it is that that um as you say, and that's really challenging your own unconscious biases and really tapping into your emotional intelligence around it and understanding, okay, so what is it? Where's that belief that we need to to bust and change in order to um, enable both parents to do this and, you know, for, my, for me to have confidence in my partner because, of course, growing up through and particularly, you know, in my years, it was the, the woman's role to look after the children. So, of course, they do it better. You know, that, that whole stigma around, oh, well, men, you know, well, they can't multitask and they can't do this and they can't do that. So it's really busting through all of those preconceived ideas, which, which aren't true. Yes, yeah, and the, all those biases that exist, and they exist yeah. both in the workplace and in society, and yeah. we're all hooked into them. We've got a certain amount of loyalty. Like for those of us who were raised, you know, in that those generations where, you know, the um, either the mum didn't work or she gave up work for a while or she worked part-time. Mm. We're somewhat loyal to that and it feels almost as though, um, you know, we're, we're stepping out of something that was important when mm. we do something different. And so I think there's different psychological dynamic playing out about loyalty and then guilt. You know, mm. it's very easy to try and make people feel guilty when they don't follow the ascribed roles mm. that society um, expects of them. Yes, absolutely. So then let's talk about the opportunity for leaders now. So where's the opportunity in all of this um, for leaders to really make a difference in this space? Yeah, I think um, there's lots of things leaders can do. 
one of the big things is to really lean into doing things differently. So I love the Male Champions of Change movement and and Elizabeth Broderick's work in that space. What I'd love Mm. to see is all those senior men taking at least three months of paid parental leave and going and doing that and stepping out of their corporate roles because when those senior men do that, it makes it okay for everybody else and it says this is the way we do things. So I'd love more leaders to do that, to really show up and and to to embrace both parts of life. Um, I think that would make a big difference. We have had a lot of great material that's been published around fixing the system there seems to be a, a kind of almost an and, an either or, you know, we need to fix the system. It's not women, stop fixing women. Uh, we yeah. need to fix the system. And that is true. We absolutely need to fix the system. But just fixing, we can't just fix the system within corporates. As you and I have touched on, we've got to fix the system in society. Mm. So this is much bigger than what businesses have to do. It's what we all have to do. We all have a responsibility here. And government has a big piece, big part to play in that. So my concern about the um, stop fixing women, let's focus on the system piece, is that we've got women in the system right now and it's not going to change for them anytime soon if it hasn't changed the last 20, 30 years. So we need to find ways to support women in the system right now as well. And I think, again, here, this is where leaders can do fabulous work. Um, I've seen some really great work um, in uh, in the finance industry around encouraging women, um, you know, women in leadership programs, mentoring, sponsoring, um, mm. having those conversations about what would it take, what would it look like, um, leaning into women asking for more, being prepared to ask for flexibility, um, and that being seen not as a, a career backstep, men asking for flexibility, men asking for flexibility so that they are doing more of their role in that, that caring piece we talked about. There are lots and lots of ways leaders can encourage and support this. And each time they do that, they are sending a different message into the system. Mm. They are actually, you know, it's that change begins with me sort of thing, that individual sense that leaders have a lot of power to role model something different. Mm. And when they do, it it really does send a message that everyone catches on to. Yeah. Well, it's like with everything that the role modeling is so powerful. So it's like, you know, you, you demonstrate what you expect from others, um, so to speak. And um, you really, as you say, role modeling the opportunities for people Mm -hmm. to step into. So if they do it first, then others will follow. It's creating that culture and leading from the top. Yes, yeah. And when we do that, you know, you talked about, well, what are the opportunities? When leaders do that, particularly when male leaders do something different and and send a message for everyone that that's normal, that's what's expected, then we start to shift this, you know, it's men or women, it's, you know, you have to be totally in 100% and work 60, 70 hours, you know, you you can kind of, you can hold both well, you can hold, you know. And the thing about having children is it's not static, right? It changes all the time. So the amount of effort and time you need to put into them um, mm-hmm. does vacillate as years go on. And if you've got you know, a couple doing that, you can really work well with that, I think, mm. if you get conscious about what you're doing, if your workplace is supportive. You know, there's lots of great things that organisations can be thinking about and tapping into the opportunities that that exists. And, mm. of course, if all organisations were doing this, it wouldn't matter whether your employee stayed or didn't stay. We'd all be getting the benefit yeah. of, of shifting that culture. 
Um, yeah. 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 So you mentioned before that there are women in the system and we had a bit of a chat. We've touched on this a little bit in that sometimes I'm hearing that women just don't have the appetite to step up. And of course that can be perceived because it's too hard. I just can't be bothered or I, I feel like I need to be a different person in order to get where I need to go and that doesn't sit well with me. But you're not seeing that in, in your space so often. Um, you know, you see that, that women do actually have the appetite. So how can we fuel the desire to step up? Because if they don't have it, it's going to be really hard to, <laughs> to get them through. I think this is an interesting thing. I'd love to see some more data around this. Uh, yeah. It's not something that I've come across. What we do here, and our research did bear this out, is that 24% of women were saying they weren't prepared to compromise their life was one of the barriers they saw to advancing their career. When we've unpacked that and done individual work around that, most people have said it's not that I don't want the big role. It's just that it seems to cost too much in terms of my whole of life situation that my family my partner and that sort of thing and again this comes back to if the partner was sharing 50% of the parenting I don't think it would feel such a big cost Mm. it's the assumption that I that the woman has to do both really well at the Mm. same time that that kind of really makes that such a such a big piece and but we can see when women do get into those roles we already talked about the stats they do an awesome job so there's Mm. no um there's no it's not that women are naturally better at one thing and men are naturally better at another. We both have talent and capability in both. Yeah. Um, I think workplaces benefit when we we are um, more like 50-50, particularly those senior um, decision-making levels. Mm. I think homes benefit. I think kids benefit. I think society mm. benefits when men are more involved with their children. Mm. Um, certainly that's borne out, you know, when we look at um, rates of suicide and depression for men, you know, those mm. who are disconnected or not well-connected to their families. Um, definitely suffer so there's so many upsides to getting a grip on this and actually working well with it Um, and because it's so multi-dimensional I think that's felt a bit hard I'd love to see a more coordinated approach yes yeah really good point it just really comes back to that that sharing doesn't it yeah it does and look there is a confidence piece for women we've certainly um you know, you talked about do they want it, have they got the appetite? Um, we have absolutely seen that. And the, again, the research, um, Chief Executive Women and Bain did some research a couple of years ago that showed that women get feedback twice as much as men that you need to show more confidence. So it is a barrier. And what we've done again is, you know, once we look at it, it's usually that women are really confident in one scenario, or one context. You put them in another and for some reason, their confidence goes, you know, disappears in a, in a split second. And what we became interested in is, well, what resources me? What sustains confidence that no matter what goes on externally or what's happening outside of me, I am solid and grounded in myself and I can deal with it. And that's really where the work from core confidence came from. You know, it yeah. was thinking about what is it women would need to take into their workplaces? What is it, how would they need to show up that would allow them to fully embrace and to to do all that they could in their career and obviously there are women who are already doing this 
and there are women who you know maybe you know already have that sense that deep connection with um with that grounded confidence but uh it definitely seems to be an issue that a lot of women are challenged by uh, i think you know the other feedback we've had around that is that a lot of men say same for me i've got the same issue so that's not necessarily just one gender around no, that no no definitely not i just think men handle it a lot differently whereas um you know Cheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, and really famous in terms of um, how women hold themselves back because they can't tick off 100%, you know, of the competencies in a job um, description. So they're like, oh, no, I can't do that. Whereas guys will go, yeah, 40%, I'm going to go for it. So, yeah, but confidence is a huge, huge challenge for women. I, I hear that all the time as well. And I think your book is such a great resource and will share with um, our listeners how they can get a copy of that and get in touch with you. Um, but like you say, to have the confidence to show the capabilities and the value that you can bring to future roles. So yeah. it's really understanding where you're wanting to go and it's okay, so how can I inject my own style, personality, capabilities into this and enable people to see me? Yes, I think that's, you know, what one of the conclusions we came to is one, clarity, exactly as you say, you know, people need to know what it is I'm going after and be, get mm. some real clarity around that and then prepare, be prepared to say yes and no to things based on that. You know, we yeah. can't do everything really well all at the same time. Mm. Um, and, you know, really that it is a thing of backing yourself, owning your talent, you know, believing in yourself. All of those things are incredibly important as you go through all phases of your career and, you know, we've definitely seen some women demonstrate this beautifully and achieve awesome things. And I think that's great because we've got examples of it. Um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of those women faced adversity. They faced all sorts of challenges on the way through. And what that meant for them is rather than succumbing or it, call it, it causing them to retreat at all, they actually used that as a strengthening and they decided, mm. they kind of pushed forward and they kept going despite the adversity that they experienced. And I think that's actually, to some degree, why those women at the top are so awesome because it wasn't easy to get there, right? Um, that they had, they really, I, I suspect, there was quite a lot they had to deal with in order mm. to to get that the place that they have. Mm. Um, and so, a lot of our work is around that resilience building and uh, really engendering that deep seated connection to core confidence to be able to to you know stand tall contribute speak up um have the difficult conversations with a lot of integrity to not lose my authenticity I and mean, i think you, you touched on that before we don't want everyone to be the same or, or to to all have to adopt the same behaviors yeah. but we want to be able to to um to absolutely contribute all that we have and to do that confidently Yes, absolutely. Love that. Stand tall and speak out. It sounds so good. <laughs> so empowering. I think we have to do another podcast on confidence because <laughs> love it. So and I feel like we've just touched the surface, like we've just skimmed the surface today. So um, it's been a great chat, but I'd love what, what, what if you had to narrow down advice for leaders today and emerging leaders in the space of gender, um, gender diversity, what would be your top tips for them right now? Uh, 
firstly, encourage men and women to step up and take parental leave and do mm. that early in the piece so we start to shift some of that dynamic. Yeah. Um, be self-aware. Get really conscious about where some of your biases lie. Notice your language and notice would you ask that of a man or of your gender, if you're stereotyping women, would you ask that of a woman, you know, um, you know, if you're saying to your friends, to the husband who's joined that, I agree, it should be parental group, mother's group, um, you know, would you say that to a woman? Well, then just don't say it. It's just not necessary where we're just reinforcing gender stereotypes. Mm. Um, if you're a leader in the workforce and someone says, you know, whether it's a sexist joke or belittles women or says, oh, she's going to have 50% of her attention elsewhere, just call it. Don't do it in a nasty way. Just be light and just go, hey, you know, that sounds like a really old stereotype. Let's not go there. We don't need to perpetrate that. Yeah. Love it. Good tips. Now, how can people get in touch with you? So, look, um, if you're more interested in the in the work we do um, in the consulting space, that's at pmnpartners.com.au. Um, and at uh, in Core Confidence, that's coreconfidence.com.au. And we also have a Facebook group, um, Core Confidence Book. So those are the three places. I'll be setting out the link with the show notes. So uh, Fiona, it's been wonderful chatting to you and I am sure we could speak for hours. <laughs> I think we could. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Now, it's very uh, evident to me, you know, my podcast is called Making It Count and um, it's very evident to me how you're making it count in, in your world and, um, you know, for the benefit of others as well. So I'd love to ask you the question, how would you like to be remembered? If we got gender equity in those decision-making tables much closer to 50-50 and I contributed in some way to that, um, I would love that to be yeah. what I'm remembered for. Yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing and thank you for being a part of the podcast today, Fiona. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.